Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Uh, how's everybody doing? Good. So glad you're here. I was thinking, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, Labor Day. I was thinking, like, it, nobody would be here. I thought you guys would be out on the lake or something, but I'm so glad you're here with us today. It's such a, such a blessing. I, I love our church, and um, yeah, uh, I hope you guys get a day tomorrow and just get to relax. We are, as Luke said, kicking off a new series uh, in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to try to go through it real methodically. Um, we originally said it was 12 weeks, but I, I just don't know that that can happen um, with all my anger and all that goes with it, Chris. Uh, no, there, it's, there's just so much in it. I, I just don't know. But I'm gonna, uh, we're going we're gonna to just kind of go and see what God does and lead and guide. And if in the middle of it there's another uh, 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 something that God's saying, we may stop for a moment and say that and then finish up and get back into Ephesians. But there are notes, if you notice, when you got, came in, there's for you to take notes if you'd like. Otherwise, um, you can uh, get on your phones and use those or whatever else you like. But I, I'm excited to get through this book. It is a fantastic book. And we're going to kick off today with Ephesians 1, uh, 1 through 6. So join me as we read that. <coughs> it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. And are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for um, this morning. Lord, I pray that, that you would speak and it, it wouldn't uh, be me, but Holy Spirit, you would give direction and guidance. God, I pray that as a church that we would hear what you'd speak to us today. God, that we had set aside all that stuff, whatever that stuff is in each of our lives, that we'd set it aside and just be open to receive what you would speak to us. God, it is truly a miraculous thing that the creator of heaven and earth would speak to us this morning. And we say thank you and we welcome you into this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 A little background on the book of Ephesians. We know it was written by Paul while he was in prison uh, in, in, in Rome. And the audience is obviously Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a critical city in the Roman Empire. There's about 250 to 500,000 people in the city of Ephesus. And it was a very spiritual city. It was a very, uh, 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 not spiritually meaning Christian, because that was a small group in Ephesus. But what we see is that worship of Artemis the, the false god was, was a huge uh, worshiping idol in Ephesus. And Paul is writing this letter to the Christians 
in the Ephesians church and, 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 and looking to impact their lives. And the purpose of his writing was to have some doctrinal teaching, some solid food, some doctrine, so that they wouldn't be led astray by everything that's going on around them. He also was looking to bring some unity in the church. How important is that today that we are unified as a church in the midst of a, a country that is in disunity? And then he gives some practical Christian living. He just, just real meat and bones. You know, the key themes, he talks about salvation and, and saved by grace through faith. He talks about the unity of the body of Christ. He goes into spiritual warfare. We'll get into that and putting on the armor of God and being willing to fight and do um, and stand as Christians should. He goes into prayer and what it looks like to commune with God through prayer. And then, you know, the practical side in Ephesians 5, he talks about marriage and he talks about parenting and he talks about this. I thought this was good as I'm reading. I never thought of it in this context, but employee, employer, how they should interact and what that looks like. So when you look at the book of Ephesians, for each one of us, he's topped and touched on something that you could engage in that would be practical in your life, that would really matter in your life. When I look at scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, there's not a word that is wasted in this book. It's all practical for you and I to receive, to grow, to change. This is the primary way that God speaks to us. Number one, through his word. And, and the, what's critical about that is a large portion of the church doesn't engage in that conversation on a daily basis. I'm going to ask you to engage in that conversation on a daily basis with the creator of heaven and earth through his word through his word. The overview this week is, is really Paul gives an introduction in uh, 1 and 2. And then he gives through the blessings of Christ Jesus. And it goes a little even a little deeper than that when we look into it. But this is a, a fantastic book. He starts off with this introduction. And Paul opens by establishing who he is in Christ Jesus. He says this in verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. What he does first and foremost, and he does in several books, is this. He establishes who he is in Christ Jesus. He establishes the fact that God called him into this ministry, that as he comes into the church, that there's anointing on him, that Jesus is leading him and guiding him. And he tells the people, look, I am one who is in Christ Jesus. And the authority that I have when I come here is through Jesus in me. And then he does this, which I love. In most of his book, he opens up and he, and he gives a blessing. He go, he, you know, he's like, bless you. He, he, he literally says this. And are faithful in Christ. Grace to you. Peace to you from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be a pastor who, who walks in the authority of this word, not my own authority, but the authority of the word of God, who is constantly pushing out a blessing over the people that God has called me to pastor, who is, who is constantly speaking life, speaking peace, speaking hope, because that's what Paul is doing here, and he's instructing them, and he's giving them food to eat and to consume, and this is his introduction to the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. And it's interesting because, you know, his, his introductions are, 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 are 
lighter heart, lighthearted and, and encouraging. And then, then Paul dives right in, throws himself in the fire. Without, uh, he just right in, and here's where he goes. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. And he says this. We just read it, but let's read it again. He said, Blessed be God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has blessed us in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and praises of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us um, in the beloved. There, there's so much there. When, when we first started talking about teaching in the book of Ephesians, uh, we were going to do uh, Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. And it's like, I just, I can't get out of this. There's, there's so much here that, and, and, and the reason that I'm, I'm telling you this is this, that you as Christians need to be literate, that, that you need to know God's word. Because here's the deal. There's coming a time, whether it's today, next week, or in two years, that you're going to need this. But not just necessarily in this form, you're going to need it in your soul. There's a difference. There's a difference from this book on that shelf in my house with a layer of dust and this book in my soul because I've eaten it. Now, you know, the reality is this. The way this thing is going, this thing called America or life in general, we may not have access. I know I'm being, you know, hyperbolic in it and I'm, I'm being dramatic. And we may not have access to this book as, as we hold it someday. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Therefore, what's in my soul is what's going to come out of my soul. And knowing God's word and, and having, being a, a thinker and a, a man or a woman who, who eats this word and wrestles with it and chews on this word is, is important for our church. So here we go. Let's chew on a few things. When you look at these opening verses, we see three key learnings from Paul. Blessings in Christ. God choosing and to his praise and glory. That he is, he is saying there, there's something to, that I want to see out of this. I think you see it in the notes that we handed out. What the, the end game, that, that he would receive glory and praise. Let's, let's start off with our blessings in Christ. The first thing. It says this, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter is acknowledging that God has blessed believers from every spiritual blessing in Christ. That, 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 that God is continually blessing. Now, here's the thing. Many of us don't feel like we're blessed, but here's the, the reality. Blessing is not a feeling necessary, necessarily. It's a truth, and the feelings will follow that truth of understanding that you are blessed. I can go with the very simplest and go to the least common denominator, which is this. We are in the top 1% in the whole world by being in this church here today. Not because we're in this church, but because we're in America. How many people have a TV in their home? Come on, some of you are lying. Um, how many people have a cell phone? How many people have missed consecutively six meals because they meant, because they, not, not, not including fasting, how many people have missed six meals in a row, let's say three days, in the last year? You're in the top 1% in the world. Some of you are going, I don't feel blessed. Let's switch that on you. 
Paul's saying this to you and me. He's saying, remember, don't forget. Know who you are in Christ Jesus. So many of us have forgotten, but he says, know who you are. Remember who you are. Don't forget the blessings of Jesus. What are the blessings of Jesus? That he forgives our sin. That I, my sins, my foolishness that, that I do have is forgiven when I go before Jesus and take it to the cross. He says, what a blessing that is. He says, don't forget salvation. The fact that I don't have to pay the price for my sin. I'm forgiven of my sin. But not only that, Jesus pays the price for my sin. That's a blessing. The Holy Spirit that lives in me, that guides, that directs, that speaks to me on a regular basis, it's a blessing from God. And he's like, don't, don't forget these things. And we walk through life and our jobs aren't going right. Our finances aren't what we think they are or what they should be. Our relationships are a little sketchy. We're struggling here, struggling with our health, struggling with this, struggling like that. And Paul goes, wait, wait, wait just hold on one second. And focus on the blessings. He says, focus on the victory that you and I have over sin by the power of of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that you and I don't have to live in our sin. That the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me and delivers me. Fellowship of believers. That's what, what Luke was just talking about. Get in a life group. Why? Because you have a fellowship of believers. Why? Because you have men and women to encourage you. Why? Because you usually get a good meal. Why? Because God has called us to walk in fellowship. We're blessed because we have purpose and meaning. When we understand who we are in Christ Jesus, when we understand Psalm 139, that God knew us specifically and put purpose into our lives, and for some of us, purpose is to be a mom and to raise kids, to be a teacher and help kids, to be a, a, a husband, to be a father, to be a, a wife, to be... There's, you know, we walk in that purpose. When we walk in that purpose to run a, a, a mechanic and, and, and do what you do with cars, there's purpose in that. God gave you a gift to think that way. I don't have that gift. I don't have that gift. But you have that gift to do what God has called you to do. And the blessing is that when I walk in that purpose, there's meaning. The blessing is that there's an eternal inheritance. That, that Christians look forward to that eternal inheritance. I was sitting with a, a young man yesterday and, and praying with him, and, and he's, he's going through difficulty. I mean, going through just crazy difficulty and praying with him and just go, Dude, this Jesus that I serve, there's hope. Because there's this thing called the eternal inheritance. And I know this, that someday this will be gone too. And Revelation 21, there's no more tears. There's no more pain, no more suffering. The blessing is that I have access to prayer. The blessing is that God bestows spiritual gifts on us. That, that God gives us that gift. The blessing is that I can walk in peace in the midst of chaos. When all, all my friends or all the people I, that, that I know that don't know Jesus are walking in this distressed out. And that doesn't mean I don't get stressed out, but there's something going back to going, okay, I have peace knowing that God's in control. The blessing is that I have hope that if this is it, this just sucks. Sorry. Forgive me. That was actually a nice word. If this is all there is, what are we really doing? But the blessing is that I have hope, an eternal hope in Christ Jesus. This isn't it. This is a stopover, Paul says. 
These are the blessings that are central to our Christian faith and flow out of our relationship with Jesus. And, and, and many of us, I need to be reminded, you need to be reminded, and you need to not only be reminded of these things that are blessings that God has given us, you need to stand on these blessings, the Word of God. And you need to stand on that hope. And you need to stand on Jesus. You need to stand on that prayer. And you need to stand on the things that God has given you. And, and just regardless of what you see, feel, touch, or smell, you go, no, 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 I'm going to stand on the truth of this Word. That's how Christians prevail. That's what Paul's talking about. And we do that through word each and every day. Praying and communicating with God each and every day. Worshiping the King of Kings each and every day. When we encounter the one that we love, each day, his blessings flow. His blessings flow. Number two, what Paul is saying there. Here's where it gets real fun. He talks about God's choosing. He talks about God's choosing. This is where Chris wants me to stand behind the desk. So I don't get all fired up. Says this, even as he chooses us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ, Jesus Christ. This, this passage is, is, is a passage that many have built doctrine around, and it's a very important passage. But it highlights the idea of God choosing predestination of believers, which offers a lot of questions. This passage opens the door for really two theological stances. One is predestination, Calvinism, that God chose before the foundation. The other one is, is free will, Arminianism. Two theological standings. Now, you go, why is he talking about that? Is that really important? Look, you need to know the Word of God. You need to know what the Word of God says. You need to be able to take the Word of God and discern through it for the conviction of what God is speaking to you. Not just what the pastor is saying to you, because some of you may not know that. What, am I saying what is truly said in this Word? You better find out. You better not just come here on Sundays twice a month and then listen to the Word and go, oh, for sure he's telling the truth. You better take it, go back, eat it, and find out if it's true. If it's sweet, or if it's sour. It's on you. I'll stand before God and give an account for what I speak, but you'll stand before God and give an account for what you've heard and what you looked at and what you received, which was true and which wasn't true. That's maturity. Sorry, I'm on another. I moved on. See, gosh, I'm all over the place. Get behind your table. All right. Lay, lay in the foundation. Look, there's two keys with this. I'm going to talk about Calvinism and Arminianism. I'm going to talk about free will and predestination for a few moments here, but I, I got to start here. Th this is a 2,000-year-old argument. This didn't happen last week. It didn't happen beginning of the 19th century. It's been going on. They, they've been wrestling with this for 2,000 years. Here's the key. These scriptures have to be seen through the lens of humility. Uh, this isn't an issue to be self-righteous on. This is, and this is what we find in the church. Paul's addressing unity in the church. Remember what we said? He's addressing unity in the, in the book of Ephesians. Yet the church can't find unity amongst herself. They're fighting over these things. Let's look at them. Why is Paul saying this is important? Because doctor, I'm going to remind you, doctrinal teaching, is, unity is important. And practical Christian living is so important. Let's define the terms real quick. Arminianism. Some of you have never, how many have heard of, of Arminianism? Okay, how many have heard of, of Calvinism? Okay, 
So Arminianism is this, um, is a Christian belief that people have the freedom to choose to follow God and believe in Jesus, and that God helps them but does not force them. Okay, free will. I get to choose. I just chose. Calvinism says this. Calvinism is a Christian belief that says God already decides who will be saved and who won't. And people don't have a choice in the matter. It's named after a man named John Calvin who thought this way. So which is it? Some of you have opinions, but which is it? What, let me ask you this. What are they saying about Calvinism and Arminianism? When I say they, I, I, I want to talk about theologians. I, I looked up the, the, the top five most respected theologians in the church over the last 2,000 years. What do they say about this? Because for sure, these men, who are the great theologians that we know, many of their books are on that, that over there on that bookcase, and these are men that are recognized. For sure, no matter what, they're going to be all in line and right on the same absolute tone. You would think. Let's look at Augustine. He had a belief that was similar to Calvin. He thought that God already knows who will be saved, and it is part of God's plan. He believed that people couldn't choose to believe in God on their own because of something called original sin. Original sin is this. When man fell, original sin, or, or uh, it, it comes into the lives of every newborn believer. The original sin it happens in Genesis 3, and depravity of man is what happens when you're born. You're born depraved, and because of original sin, there's no way that we would seek God. We would just seek our own self, stuff. That's basically what he said. That's Augustine, great church father. Thomas Aquinas. Thomas' idea about human freedom and God's knowledge aligned more with Ar Arminianism, where people have the freedom to choose. It's your choice. I chose Jesus. C.S. Lewis, he didn't firmly take sides with Arminianism or Calvinism in the debate. He had a unique perspective that he tried to find common ground between the two. A.W. Tozer, he was straight Arminius, believed that individuals have the freedom to choose to believe in God and follow Jesus. He emphasized the idea of God invites everyone to a relationship with him and people can accept or reject Jesus. Completely free will. Billy Graham, heard of him? You may not have heard the other guys, but I think you've heard of him did not publicly take a strong stance and debate between Arminianism and Calvinism during his ministry. He believed that the most important thing was to share the message of Jesus Christ with his people, regardless of their theological beliefs. They, they, I just gave you a picture of some of the most respected men. Okay, what about PPC? I don't want to put me with those guys, obviously. So um, what, about, what do we believe here at Pacific Point Church, or what do I believe personally? I hold a view that's called compatibilism. And it's very similar to C.S. Lewis and to Billy Graham. That there can be two truths. There, there, can, be, there can be two theological bends that can, 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 can run parallel to one another. And these concepts could coexist within the same framework of God's sovereignty. That's what we believe as a church. That's what I believe personally. Uh, let me show you a few things. What, you know, when someone asks me, what's my answer when someone asks me our theological position on Calvinism and Arminianism, I say yes. <laughs> Which cost me people. I was in a small group. At a small group at our house. And great small group. And, and uh, this came up somehow. I don't even know how it came up. It wasn't the topic, but it came up. 
And, and, and the, 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 there's one side, Arminius, one side, Calvinist. Ah, you can't choose God, he chooses you. Ah, you can fall out of, out of, out of love with Jesus and you can choose. And, and, I, and they, what do you think, John? And I said, yes. And then I explained, which I will to you, what that means. And the next week, they're like, we're out of here. I can't believe that you could believe that someone could lose their salvation or that someone makes a choice. There's some great churches out there. Have fun. That was funny, kind of. Yeah, let, me, let me show you why I think that's, that's an interesting stance. Why? Because I can argue biblically from both positions. And the real issue isn't Arminianism or Calvinism. The issue is lordship. Who has your heart? See, the reality is this. If you're an Arminius and you believe in free will... And, 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 and the reality is, is, we said, the issue is lordship. If Jesus is lord of your life, it doesn't matter because you're not going to lose your salvation. Correct? So the issue is lordship. If you're a Calvinist and you believe you're chosen then you, you, and, and Jesus is lord of your life, then you're doing exactly what God told you to do. Therefore, you're obedient. So the issue isn't Calvinism or, or Arminianism. The issue is lordship. But let me show you what Calvinism says. Um, the Calvins believe because these are some of the scriptures they build around. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. We just talked about conformed to their image of their son. Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Just read that. Ephesians 1.11. In him we are obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Acts 4.28. To do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. Ah, man, God has definitely predestined us. Hasn't he? Well, let's see what the Arminian stance says. Joshua says this. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. What? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, what? Whoever what? Believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Huh. Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, this is crazy, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from you, you workers of lawlessness. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him. And he with me. Are you kidding me? Which is it? I, there, those are convincing both ways. Let me give you a side note. The key scripture for anyone in here that says, I have the answer. This is what I hear many times from Christians. I know the truth. Okay. Well, here's what 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says. For we see in a dimly, a mere dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, and then I should know fully, even as I have been fully known. What does that mean? You don't know. You can't fully see. It's impossible. 
Can Calvinism and Arminianism coexist? Barney Coombs said this. I love this. And I, I gave him credit. Usually I just say this is from me, but I had to. This is so important. So important. Barney Coombs says this. Often God takes two truths that this side of heaven, we have no idea where they intersect. One taken, truth taken to one extreme is heretical. Another truth taken to another extreme is heresy. People who take Arminianism and, and just, they're like, this is the way and you guys don't know and you're so self-righteous and blah, blah. Or people who take uh, 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 Calvinism and go, this is the way and who do you think you are thinking? That's taking it to the to outer just areas that starts to become a little heretical. And the church loves to do that. And Paul is saying, there's, there's got to be unity in the church. Here's, here's the picture. of Somewhere between Calvinism and Arminianism, there, there's this intersection, this side of heaven, I have no idea where it's at. It, it meets somewhere. Am I losing you guys? You guys good here? I, I mean, this is good stuff. Come on. Let me just act. I should be a professor teaching in college with this stuff. You know? I'm kidding. I, no. Uh, neither Calvinism or Arminianism are essential truths. They are non-essential truths or secondary truths. Why is that important? St. Augustine said this, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. We just talked about him. One of the church fathers who had a stance. Let me show you what this looks like. What are the essential truths? Essential truths are what I am willing to die for. They're non-negotiable. Things, if someone put a gun to my head and said, deny Jesus, go, done. I, I'm not going to deny Jesus. Just shoot me. Those are essential truths. Someone came to me and said, you're an Arminianist or are you a Calvinist? And know this, your answer will determine whether you live or die. I'll go, I don't really care. What do you want me to say? What are you? I'm a Calvinist. I'm a Calvinist too. That's crazy. <laughs> What is it? This is what it looks like. I can play that game. <laughs> They're non-negotiable. I, I use this regularly, so you guys have seen it, but it's important to keep in front. They're non-negotiables that I hold tight. That's what we just talked about. Trinity, uh, virgin birth, deity of Christ, gospel, saved by grace, depravity, world, uh, word, holiness. All those things are things that I, I do not let go of, and they were defined by the Lusane Covenant of 1974. In other words, a bunch of evangelicals came together and said, these are the things that we will die for. Then you have what are called house rules. They're held in our hand. They're held loosely, but they're held in our hand. This is what makes a church distinctive. This is why they need, we need to plant as many churches as we can. Because there's so many different expressions of who God is. And, and this house, you know, and other houses, uh, the house rules are, are the way you do worship. Weekly communion. A lot of churches don't do communion weekly. That's fine. That's what we do. Preaching style, you know. Tithing, what you believe about tithing. Personal gifts, spiritual gifts, prophetic words. Predestination and free will. will. Soft complementarianism. Does everybody know what complementarianism? Can women preach in the church or can't they preach in the church? Egalitarian says that, that they can. Uh, complementarian says that they can't. You know, there's, there's house rules that we have for that. Then there's the last thing that's called personal convictions. Personal convictions is on dating and drinking and movies and spiritual gifts and worship. You know, you can have predestination and free will is a personal conviction but do not take it into the place of, of, of non-negotiables 
This is what the church does. They take something that, that is not meant to be held on to and to die for, and they make it that. And the church just starts going like this, fighting, 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 fighting. Here's the second thing that we do, is we take our personal convictions and we slide into churches. And we try to make them the, personal, or the house rules of that church. Here's the deal with that. Every one of us will have a personal conviction that we have to submit to the house rule that God has called us to. It's just the way it is. My mother, God bless her, she had a conviction, personal conviction, that she tried to push on dad and me. She had this personal conviction that you couldn't go to a movie over PG. That means 13s are out and so are ours. That means a lot of good beat em up, shoot em up, kill em movies are right out the flipping window. And she tried to tell that man, I mean, it's not like he's young. I mean, he's a man. He tried to tell me that you can't do that. We said, Mom, don't put your personal convictions on us. God bless her. I, I say that. Well, she did, but it's funny, you know. <laughs> but we try to do that in church. Some of you in here right now are thinking in your head, ah, predestined. I can't believe he's got any predestined free will. But you're going through your head like, if this is your church, I'm telling you who we are. Some of you are going to have to... Uh, who we are in predestination and free will or who I am for sure is yes. You may be, uh, you know, free will. And that's fine. But, but if, you're, if this is your church, you're going to have to go, okay, I'm all right with laying down that personal conviction. It's not easy. Everybody has to do it. Unless you sneak in and out of church. You come once in a while. You don't go to small groups. Jesus and Lord of your life. It's easy then because you just justify, move to the next church and the next great thing you hear. And then when you get offended there, you go to the next church that you think is great. And when you get offended there, you don't go to church for a couple of years and you go, oh, I'm going to get back in. I was so hurt by the church. I got to get back in the church now. And I'm going to go back to the church again. I'm going to try this one. <laughs> Who have I offended here? Everybody, I hope. I want to be an equal opportunity offender this morning. It's just human nature. And that's all right. God is gracious. God is so good in spite of us. And if we can't laugh at ourselves, dear Lord, we're in trouble. Can Calvinism and Arminianism coexist? Yes, they can coexist. They can absolutely coexist. Because I don't know where they intersect. They do. I just don't know where it's at. This is a good time to remind you again the purpose of Paul's book in Ephesians. Doctrinal teaching. This showed you two stances here. Unity in the church, regardless of which side you're on or you feel like I got to fight for, you can still be unified in the church. It's not an essential doctrine that has to do with salvation. It's a conviction. And I'm all right with the conviction that you have one or the other. Okay. Just don't put the self righteousness on others. Know your scripture. Don't tell me you're a Calvinist and you can't give me a scripture around what you believe. At that point, you're a liar. You're just an emotional liar. I've been it. I had a strong conviction, and they go, and they go, what did you, uh, give me a couple of scriptures. I'm like, I'll get back to you on that. I mean, it is foolishness. <laughs> Let's go to number three. To his praise and glory. The third thing that Paul does in this first chunk of scripture is he takes us to this place of his praise and his glory. The ultimate purpose of the blessings that God bestows upon us 
according to this passage, is to bring praise and glory to God. The, the, ultimately, what, 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 what Paul is getting at in Ephesians is that our whole lives should, should take us to this place of, of glorifying the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 6, he says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has uh, blessed us in the beloved. How do we bring praise and glory? Making Jesus Lord of our lives. It's not having a stance on Arminianism. It's not having a stance on, on, on egalitarianism. It's not having a stance, I'm, 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 I'm a tough guy, I got my stance. No, 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 no. It's Jesus being Lord of every aspect of your life. Acts 2.36, I quoted it earlier, let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that this God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Paul, uh, Peter reminds you that you put him on the cross. Your sin put Jesus on that cross. But he's not just a ticket to heaven. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He's not just a ticket to heaven. Although he's a ticket to heaven, I don't like that ticket. He's Lord. And when I say he's Lord, what I'm saying is, it's all yours. My marriage, my finances, my job, my thought life, my drinking, my, my neighborhood, my money, my children. Yeah, thank you for the They assumed that, but thank you. Um, every aspect is his. That's lordship. And he wants a church that, that, that just... It's going, it's yours. Here, here's what we do. Ah, you claw it back. The guy goes, hey, remember it's mine. You got to go, okay, I'll back, I'm all in again. I'm back all in. And then you go through day, and then you, you bring it back. And God goes, reminds you in a, maybe a message like this or something that you read. And he goes, okay, okay, God, it's yours. My issue is I think too many times that I know better than him. I know none of you have that issue. And I think I can control this thing. And I think I can do this thing with her, this relationship thing, on my own, and I can't. I can't. It's this lordship. And ultimately, this lordship about me not being able to do and, 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 and giving up. When we make Jesus a Lord, you know, what happens? How, you know, we receive, how do they receive praise and glory? It happened, let me read that, because I stuttered through that one pretty good. When we make Jesus Lord of our lives, he receives praise and glory through our lives. How does he see, receive praise and glory through our lives? Let me be real clear here. Church. Church. Christians gather in churches. Hebrews says, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. He's glorified in this place this morning. Prayer. When you pray together. Wednesday morning's over there with a handful of people that we have. Mindy and Chris and Tracy and, and just whoever I forgot, forgive me, but the handful. He is glorified in that place. Studying scriptures, whether it be in small groups or on your own, God is glorified when you take his word and you, you're exploring who he is and you're finding out who he is and he's revealing himself to you in new ways. He's glorified and, 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 and you're blessed in that. How is God glorified? In your lifestyle. When, when Christians imitate Christ, when they look like Jesus, when someone says to you, I don't know how you do that. What's different about you? When, you, when you're, you're, you're doing things different in your life and they, they don't understand and your lifestyle looks different than everybody else's. That's bringing glory in, to Jesus. 
your great stories going forth. When you tell people, when you tell little kids about how Jesus saved you and changed you, when you tell your coworkers, when you tell others and when other people see and your great story goes forth, God's glory goes forth. When you serve others, when you serve in children's church, when you serve in this church and outside of this church, God's glory goes forth. When you evangelize, when you disciple, you grab a hold of someone and you pour your life into them that they might pour their life into someone else who might pour their life again into someone else. It's God's glory is just going forth. When you have words of thanksgiving and not words that curse, when you have words, our, our, our thing is blowing away. I can see, can someone, go? Oh, Eddie, I love you. Can you, um, our tent thing is blowing over to the next thing over there. That's weird. It's like the Stay Puft Marshmallow guy and Ghostbusters is floating around. I'm like, oh, there goes our, our, our thing there. God's glory goes forth. That's wild. Should have, bought, pay, should have paid the extra, got the sandbags. Note to self. Got cheap on us. Sorry. God's glory goes forth in our laughter. When you can look at stupid things and go, oh, God. His glory goes forth. Jesus received praise and glory when we tell and show others about him. Romans 10, 14. How will then call on him who have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who have not heard or have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You're the preachers. You're a preacher. I'm not the preacher. I'm a preacher. You're preachers. For some of you, it's not this, but it's one of those ten other things I said. Serving others. Loving others. Being the hands and feet of Jesus and being a preacher of Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus receives praise and glory from us when we recognize him as Lord and Savior. When we look to him as a source of all goodness and truth. It's a combination of this heartfelt worship and faithful living and sharing the message of love and his salvation. That brings glory to the name of Christ. That's what he's called us to, church. That's who he's called us to be in every aspect of your life. And we get to be a part of it. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what he's talking about here. What is he getting at? He's getting at it in Ephesians. He's getting at us. So I hate to uh, miss an opportunity. <laughs> in the backs of your seats or when you came in, you were given one of these that say next. What is next? Next steps. Uh, and this may not be one of the next steps, but I'm challenging you. I'm challenging myself as I look at this and going, okay, God, get me out of my comfort zone. What is it that God's calling you to do next? Is it, is it to get baptized because you haven't? Is it to be a part of a life group? Is it helping in children's church? Is it discipling someone? Is it start today giving? Is it to commit to church each week? Is it repentance and forgiveness? Or is it to make Jesus Lord of your life? Or maybe it's something completely else, something else that I didn't even mention here today. But I, I want to encourage us as a church. You don't have to put your name on it, but here's what I'm asking. That, that, that as God has convicted you today, 
that as he's convicted you in, uh, on one of these things or something else, that you'd write it in and you'd drop it in the offering buckets. There's one in the back right and there's one in the left on the wall. That you, you don't need to put your name. If you want to put your name, you put your name because we'll pray specifically for you. If you don't want to put your name, that's fine. Just fill in something that you feel like God's told you because here's what we're going to do. On Wednesday when we sit over there at, at 6.30 in the morning, what we're going to do is we're going to pray for these people. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for boldness. We're going to pray that God will continue to do what he's doing in your life. We're going to pray that God moves in miraculous ways. And that he's glorified. That he's glorified in whatever you do that's next. Whatever he has you to do. As the musicians come up, I want, I want to pray for us. And we're going to, this is a time that we receive communion as, as we talked about we do this every week. We believe it's a holy moment. It's an important moment. And, and, and before, there's communion tables there to the sides and to the back. Before you, you, you come up to receive, I'm, I'm asking you to examine your heart this morning. There may be someone in here who doesn't know Jesus, and the Bible says this, that today is the day of salvation. And it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says, you will be saved. And, 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 and if, if that is you today, before you go and receive, because that's the time that you go and receive is when you come into this relationship with Jesus, when you have a relationship. If, if that's you, I want you to write your name or you want you to come find me. Because I want to celebrate with you and talk to you about what that means. So before you come and receive the elements this morning, examine your hearts. Examine your hearts. What is God saying? What's he asking you to do? What does he have for you? And as a church, let's walk in the fullness of that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your word, this book of Ephesians. It's, God, it's just life-giving. It's, it's fun and it's, it's convicting and it's, it's eye-opening and it's, it's, it's informative and it's, it's gracious and there's just so many different... Your word is so perfect, God. Thank you. So God, as we go to the elements and receive the body and blood of Christ... God, I pray that we examine our hearts. God, show me what you would have for me. God, let me lay it at the cross, proclaiming you, Jesus, as Lord of our life. The Bible says in the night that Jesus betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He said, eat this in remembrance of me. God, we remember what you did on the cross that I might have life. God, I remember the beating that you took so I don't have to. God, I remember the crown of thorns that pierced your head and the blood that flowed. And, and, and then it says this, that when you come together, take the wine that represents the covenant of blood that I've made with you, and, 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 and when you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Oh, God remember what you did for me. I remember that your blood washes away every one of my sins. Sins I've already committed and the ones I'm going to commit. God, God I remember 
that your blood allows me to walk out of this place free. That the blood of Jesus allows me to have victory over my sin. That, Lord, as I receive your body and and the, the wine, that, Lord, it's a faith statement of who you are and what I believe about you. Now I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help me walk it out. To be the man you've called me to be. To be the woman that you've called these women to be. God, we say thank you. Because even as we just read, you are glorified in our words that say, thank you, Jesus. So Jesus, be glorified in this place today. Be glorified in this place to be today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a second and then come up and receive. We do family communion style. There's some sealed ones if you don't want to grab the raw bread, but we have both. But take a minute minute, and just examine your heart and then come and receive.